two or three seasons when I was growing up, I played Little League Baseball. I was not good at baseball. I was terrible at baseball. Now, there are some children's sports that you can play, and it's easy to blend in if you're not very good. Like soccer, for example. The ball goes around the field, or the kids run around. Easy to blend in if you're not that good. Very hard to blend in if you're not that good at baseball. It's hard to hide when you're at bat. It's hard to hide if the fly ball is coming your way and it's your turn to catch the ball. Now, the games were six, were six innings. I was uh, regularly in left field for at least three innings of the game because the Little League rules required that the coaches play everybody for at least three innings. I also got to bat in every game because the league rules required that everyone on the roster got to bat. But because I was uh, tall and lanky and my coordination had not quite caught up with my height, I offered a really inviting big strike zone for the opposing pitchers. Now, I still had fun. Uh, one of the highlights, one of the fun parts of playing Little League Baseball was this product called Big League Chew. I don't know who thought this was like a good idea for kids. <laughs> it was a pouch that looked like chewing tobacco. This is a children's product. And the, uh, the gum was cut in shreds. Like, I've never chewed tobacco in my life, but I understand this is what it would be like. And <laughs> as like seven and eight-year-olds, we would, we would take the gum and we would put it in our mouth like we saw the Major League Baseball players put chewing tobacco in their mouth. Who thought this was a good product for kids? Another highlight of my Little League baseball career was that at the end of every game, every player received a free soda at the concession stand. And I remember this vividly. If you asked them, the volunteers at the concession stand would take your cup and they would put a little bit of each flavor of soda. That's what we got. Some of you know what I'm talking about. My baseball career ended as I approached the age when the coaches would no longer, by rule, be required to play me. <laughs> and why? Why did I tell you the story about my Little League baseball career? It all comes down to this. I ended my time playing because I didn't want to be sidelined. No one likes to be sidelined. I'm thankful today that my Life today is not defined by my Little League baseball career. I am thankful that who I am today is not shaped by my baseball career. We also know today that there are far less funny things, serious things, even painful things from our past that can very much impact our present. It could be things from history, your history, Child neglect, maybe you were abandoned in some way or abused. It could be a chronic mental condition, the death of a loved one. Maybe you would say that there was an intentional or unintentional mistake that caused hurt, humiliation, regret. Maybe it's a life-controlling habit. It could be a financial decision or series of financial decisions that put you in a difficult or even embarrassing place. Maybe you have even done something that resulted in an arrest, a conviction, and incarceration. And these difficult things 
can stay with us and can very much be part of our present. Difficult events can become part of our identity and have the potential to stay with us for years or even decades. There can be a residual impact of these events that can impact us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, becoming a reason or even an excuse for not moving forward. What happened in our past has the potential to sideline us. Mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse have the potential to become our identity and excuse. Bankrupt, addict, cheater, failure, disabled, sick, troubled, victim, criminal, abandoned, Past or present mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse can become an identity, how we label ourselves and or how others label us. We realize that sometimes these types of labels can be a result of what we've done, and sometimes these labels are a result of what someone else has done to us. Either way, either way, they can become an I can't because. They can become, and I can't because. I can't because of where I grew up, how I grew up, or the family that I grew up in. I can't because of what happened. I can't because of what I've done. I can't because of my condition. We might even think or possibly even say out loud, God could never use me in this way because of my past mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse. As we're starting this conversation this morning, this, please hear me, this is in no way minimizing, downplaying, or dismissing the seriousness of what possibly you've been through. What we're going to see today is that a person who was sidelined had an encounter with Jesus, and it will take for Jesus intervening in a way for this man to do what there's no way that he could do for himself. And maybe you have a situation like that today. You would say that whatever it is, you need a supernatural intervention from your heavenly Father to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. This is where we pick up our conversation on the questions Jesus asked. That's what we're talking about all summer long. In the accounts of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus asked a lot of questions. And Jesus never asked a question because he lacked information. Jesus never asked a question for his own benefit. Jesus asked questions for our benefit. You see, Jesus knew that questions, when asked in conversation, questions have greater potential to compel change than statements. Why? Because questions cause reflection. Questions reveal motives. Questions bring clarity when there's confusion. Questions cause evaluation. What Jesus asked then, he is asking today. And this series, it's challenging me, and I pray that it's challenging you. This series is challenging us to grow through our answers to Jesus' questions. So I'm going to invite you to open up or power up your word to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you can choose the version, it will be the ESV version today. And what we are about to see is a man who had a very real, I can't because... 
And so I'm going to invite us. Let's all bring our own I can't because situations. Maybe for you, you'd say it's a little thing. Others, it's a big deal. We have an I can't because. Let's bring our own I can't because. And as we encounter Jesus, we're going to see the question that Jesus asked then. He may be asking you and I today. When we pick up this account from history, Jesus has traveled to Jerusalem. John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Here is a place that is occupied by people with an illness or disability, possibly or even likely through no fault of their own. Like this man who you're about to meet. We don't know him by name, but we know him about because of what happened in his life. Verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. What we're about to see is that Jesus gives value to a man labeled invalid. Jesus gives value to a man labeled invalid, which you also see is the same as the word invalid. Now, the word invalid a friend who leads a ministry for people with disabilities has pointed out to me just how awful this word is, the word invalid. See, invalid, person with disability, is the same word as invalid, meaning without worth. If you were to go through a drawer in your house and you were to find a ticket for a Portland Trailblazers game from 1996, and you were to drive up next basketball season, taking that ticket with you from 1996 and hand it as you uh, walk into the Moda Center, they would tell you what? I'm sorry, you can't enter using this ticket because it is invalid. It has no more worth. The word here in John chapter 5, verse 5, it could be translated disease, infirmity, sickness, weakness, but invalid or invalid is so strong because it captures how culture saw these people without worth. Perhaps all these people even saw themselves without value. And maybe there's something that has occurred in your life in small or big way that has made you in some way feel invalid, without worth. Now, what we like about this man is that he's by the pool. He's by the pool that has a reputation for bringing healing. He remained close to the pool. He doesn't just hide in a basement. He is at the pool with some level of expectation, some level of hope that this pool with a reputation for healing, that as a result of being there, he will be well. So here comes the question. That's a question that Jesus asked then, and he may be asking you today. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, see, Jesus already knows, he knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, Jesus said to this man, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free from what's sidelining you? Well, many of us would say, of course. The answer is yes, of course I want to be healed. But before we jump there too quickly, if our past mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse If any of those things have become part of our identity or even our excuse, what does it mean if we're healed? If we say yes, that means that if God intervenes and heals us of whatever it is, then what happens? 
We lose what? We lose the excuse. If you have had for years or decades been telling people, I can't get involved, I can't do that, I can't join in because of past mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse, do you desire healing? Are you ready to move forward in a way where that can no longer be your reason? It can no longer be the reason you tell yourself or tell others. And here what's sad and even challenging, we can reach a point where labels of our, from our past, they can be so comforting like a comfortable shirt or jacket that we just become comfortable in that label from the past and that to be healed from that label, from that identity, is actually taking a step out of our comfort zone. The man is at the pool daily with all these others who are suffering from a disability or illness. Who you surround yourself with matters. Who you surround yourself with matters. These people who are around us, they can support us, they can encourage us, those are the people who we want to be in our life. But people, they can also hold us back. They're miserable, and they would really like for you to stay miserable too. Others, they can help or they can hinder. Maybe you have been guilty of, the, of this. You have complaints in your family, your workplace, your school, or even your church. <laughs> so what do we do? We gravitate towards others who complain, and we actually find some comfort in staying miserable. Jesus has asked the question. This is the question on the table today. Do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. You see here that John describes the man as the sick man. The sick man, it's a label, it's an identity. His sickness has become his identity. And what he thinks that he needs, it's a friend and the magic pool. He, the sick man, believes that his only hope is a friend and the magic pool. He developed in his own mind what he thought that he needed to become well. Because if I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, then if I had someone to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and the other people would not cut in front of me, then I would be healed. If I ever did a message on cutting in line, this would be a good verse to use. He's mad that people cut in line. This is, I guess, a something that has been true for all time. We don't like people who cut in line. You didn't like it in kindergarten when someone cut in front of you in line. And if you were down for lunch today at the In-N-Out Burger and someone cut in front of you in line, look out. The Kaiser Police Department is going to have to be called to break up that fight. The sick man developed in his mind a sequence of events. Sit by the pool. The water is going to be stirred or bubbled up. The friend that I, I need, he needs to rush me to the water, rush me to the pool, pushing others out of the way. I need to be dropped in the water, and then my healing will be complete. Now, we can do a version of this as well. We face a chronic challenge, and we can think of a way in our own mind how this can be resolved. We come up with our plan. We can reach a point where we actually become closed off to other resolutions because our mind is so focused on what we think needs to occur. 
It's also possible that the solution that we've come up with that we think is the answer actually will not be the answer that we think it is. Now, what appears to be folklore, superstition, or legend about this particular pool is that an angel would come down, stir up the pool, causing it to bubble up, and the water had the power to heal the disease, but you had to be the first in the water. You had to win the race. Now, we know that there are some springs that have a reputation for healing, like hot springs, for example, that there are healing properties for like skin disease or temporary relief for joint pain or, or arthritis, but there certainly is no pool or springs that can cure every disease. We can be deceived into believing that someone else's solution will also be the answer to our problem. Is it possible that this man has his hopes up so high in believing that work for what someone, someone else's condition never even had the potential to heal what he had? Is it possible that we have read about or watched what worked for someone else and decided, well, that is what I need. That will be what will work for me as well. My arm is broken. What should I do? Well, I had a cold and this cough drop provides some relief. Why don't you take that and see if it will be the answer for what you need as well? What worked for someone else's situation may not be the answer that you need. God may have a different answer, a better answer for what you're facing than the outcome that he delivered for someone else. Some of us, we may need to be healed of answered prayer envy. See, we can be jealous or even envious of the way that God worked in someone else's life. You may even resent someone because of the way that God answered their prayer. Well, Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That's the question. But if you look at the man's answer, he didn't answer that question. When Jesus said, do you want to be healed? The man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, someone else cuts in front of me. The question that the man answered is, what do you think needs to happen for you to be healed? When the man says, if I have no one to put me into the water, when the water is stirred up and when I'm going, someone cuts in front of me, let's look at what Jesus does not say. So the man gives his plan, what needs to happen. When the water is stirred up, I need to win the race to the pool. So Jesus, this is, this is not how he reacts. Jesus does not say, okay, let's make sure I understand your plan. When the water begins to bubble up, what we need to do is we need to pick you up quickly. It is crucial that we win the race, beating everyone else with a physical disability to the water. If necessary, pushing away other people who are sick, who cannot walk, cannot see out of the way. Jesus does not say, is this your plan? Do I understand it correctly? Jesus does not say, okay, I've got it. We understand your plan. We're here to help you. We're here to work your plan. Jesus does not say, uh, James, John, Peter, did you hear the man's plan? You, you stand here by him. Andrew, you go down by the water. You're the lookout. Some of you are with me. All right, Andrew, as soon as you see the water bubble up, you yell back to, to James, John, Peter, and we're going to pick them up, and we're going to race them down to the water. Now, before this happens, 
We all need to scan the crowd, and we need to look for anyone who could potentially get in the way. We're going to identify any uh, partially able-bodied individuals who could beat us in the race. You may need to muscle past that person who is blind. I want you to get ready to muscle aside the guy with the bad shoulder, and we cannot count out the lady with one leg. As ridiculous as this sounds, how often do we ask God to work our plan? Our plans are often weak substitutes for faith in God. When thinking about your chronic challenge, are you answering the question, what's your plan? Or are you answering the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be released from whatever it is that is holding you back? Verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus had a plan. And it was far better than the man's plan. He never had to get in the water. Many of us have experienced this. We came up with the plan and then God provided a way forward that was much better. What we see here is that Jesus does not do for the man what he now has the ability to do for himself. Jesus intervened and he gives this man the ability. But then he sa Jesus says, now you... Now that I've given you the way forward, now you need to get up, pick up that bed, and walk. In verse 7, John describes the person by the pool of Bethesda as the sick man. Now he's the healed man. This man is known for his healing by Jesus Christ, not for his sickness. Suffering may be part of your story, but it does not have to be your identity. Suffering may be part of your story, but it does not have to be your identity. When, this, when Jesus intervenes, the sick man becomes healed. Now, this should be a party. Everyone should be excited. Everyone should be celebrating, but there are the religious elites who are watching, and they don't like it because this has happened on the Sabbath, and they confront Jesus. For some people, it seems like there's no amount of evidence that will ever be convincing. And so they're always coming up with reasons. Why not? My encouragement for us today is that we would choose identity in Christ, not your past mistakes, pain, suffering, loss, or even abuse. Choose identity in Christ. The question is, do you want to be well? Is it your desire to be free of that past mistake, pain, suffering, loss, or abuse, that it will be part of your story, but it will no longer be your identity? Is it 
possible that you become so comfortable with the negative label that you've put on yourself or others have put on you that it actually is difficult to answer the question, do you want to be well? Because you're not quite ready to set aside the excuse or set aside the reason that it's a challenge for us to even think about not going to that reason for always saying, I can't get involved. Are you ready to be free of that? Maybe you have a, a version of your friend by the magic pool. That, that's what you think is going to be the only solution. Is it possible that you're missing the better plan that God has for you? Today, it might be a prayer. God, you know what has happened that is holding me back from all that you have for me in my life. God, I need you to reveal yourself. Father, there are some things, there's something that is part of what I'm living through, living with right now. And you would say, I need you, God, to do what I cannot do for myself. We're so thankful that God's work is not just past tense for a museum. God is still at work today. He's still healing. He's still restoring. He's still providing. He's still giving away where it seems like there is no other way. As we said in the beginning of the conversation, this is in no way minimizing, downplaying, or dismissing the seriousness of what you have been through. This is not a self-help talk. We are saying today, if it is your desire, if it's our desire to be restored, to be well, we're looking to God to do what we cannot do on our own. What you've been through may be very real, just like that man at the pool of Bethesda. You need God to intervene in a supernatural way. We're here to believe with you today. Praise God. Now, I also want to say that it, it may be that God has given you the way forward. God has intervened already, and he's made a way where there is no way. You know what it is that you're supposed to do. And what Jesus said to the man back then, God is saying to you today, now is the time to get up, to take your bed, and walk. In this moment at the pool of Bethesda, this happened at the, almost simultaneously, or right, after, right in the same sequence of events. It's possible that for us that there could be some time. God's already given the way. He's already done, he's done a restoring work. But for some reason, I don't know what this means in your situation, but for some reason there is some version of get up, get your mat, and walk, and you've been hindered or you've been hesitant, and God is saying, now is the time. I've made the way. Now is the time to get up, take your mat, and walk. This past week, a missionary shared the story of a man living in Northern Asia, in a country that I can't mention today. Living in Northern Asia, this man was in a terrible fire and suffered burns all over his body. The scars of burning on his face. And because of how 
culture, society viewed this man, he was pushed to the sidelines and the sidewalk where he was left to beg, hoping that someone passing by would throw a little change in his direction as an act of compassion. Because of what had happened to this man, he was sidelined. He was considered by culture invalid, of no worth. Many people would pass him by in those weeks and months, and then a person who loves Jesus saw the man and had compassion. Do you know that Jesus, a mark of his ministry is that he moved in the direction of people that no one else would walk toward. Jesus stopped when no one else would stop. My prayer, church, is that we would have a heart and vision like Jesus Christ, that we would see, <laughs> that we would see people not as everyone else sees them, but we would see value when no one else sees value. That we would not write off those who we encounter as being invalid, invalid. This man who is pushed to the sidewalk and the sidelines of life encounters a Christian who for the very first time shares a hope that is available in Jesus Christ. New life, restored life. And do you know what happened there on the sidewalk of that city in Northern Asia? That man who had suffered burns all over his body. He received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And many years later now, that man is a pastor in a country where it's really hard to be a Christian and especially hard to be a pastor. And praise God, this man is doing such amazing work that he has the attention of the government and he has to continuously move his congregation to stay one step ahead of those who desire to shut him down. Now this man, he still has burns and scar marks on his face. And if he had become convinced that the only way for me to matter to society once again would be for me to be healed of these burn scars, he would have missed it. The scars are still there, but this man is absolutely being used by God to make a difference. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you desire to be restored? Maybe you have a reason today, and if you were to tell us what your reason is for why, you can't. We would say, you know what, I understand. If I went through what you went through, I would be maybe in the same place. But what if we were to believe that that no longer has to be what defines you? That God can pick you up and give you a way forward and supernaturally intervene and act on your behalf. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ today, once again challenged by a question that Jesus asked, a question that on its surface seems so easy. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And what makes it so challenging is that so often to experience healing, to experience restoration, means that we have to say goodbye to the reason. We have to say goodbye to the excuse that has held us back. 
For someone in this room, it may be a step outside of their comfort zone. It may be a move into the uncomfortable. But Father, we invite you. We invite you to do your healing work. We invite you to work in the way that only you can. As every one of us in this room is having a, a moment of reflection right now, I wanna ask a question. And in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to lift up a hand and it's only for the purpose of me praying for you. I wanna pray for you today. In just a moment, I wanna lift up your hand. If you would say that there has been some version of an I can't because in your life. You have had some reason that's held you back from saying yes. Maybe you've said it out loud. I see hands are going up all over this room. You've said it out loud or you've said it in your mind. I can't be involved because of something in my past, something in a label. And today you want to be healed. Today you no longer want that to be what keeps you from moving forward. Praise God, hands are continuing to go up in this room. Is there anyone else who would say, I want to be healed? I know it's a step out of my comfort zone. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Father, you saw every hand that was lifted up in this place today. Friends who so honestly said that there is something from the past, some mistake, some pain, some suffering, even abuse, that has been my reason or even excuse to not get involved. And so we're here today, today to say, Father, work in the way that only you can intervene in a supernatural way and then father when when you do your part we're ready to do ours and we're listening for the holy spirit to say get up get up get up take your mat and walk praise god